We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you beautiful people. I am so honored to be spending part of our days together here on Empower Radio. I have a question for you. Do you sometimes experience anxiety or stress in your relationships or in your life? Do you know that sometimes the fear you feel outweighs the actual threat of fear? Though it may seem like a relatively simple concept, experiencing trauma at any point in our lives can have consequential long-term negative effects. I found it fascinating when I learned recent scientific studies indicate that experiencing traumatic events can actually change the way our brains function. The brain can be affected in such a way that makes a person feel like the trauma from that event is happening over and over again, kind of like we're on this, this loop. As long as thoughts, memories, and feelings associated with trauma are overlooked, avoided, or ignored, it's difficult for people to live in a peaceful state because the normal flow of emotions stay stay stuck on a cellular level and remain buried in our subconscious mind and in our psyche. In other words, unprocessed trauma can take up residence in our brains and our bodies, and it can influence our mind, our emotions, our energy field, and literally affect and distort all areas of our lives. So today I'm happy to be having a conversation about this very important subject with our PTSD expert, Susan Peace Bannett. Susan is the author of The Trauma Toolkit, Healing PTSD from the Inside Out. Susan is a Harvard-trained psychotherapist with over 30 years experiencing experience in the mental health field. She has worked in hospitals, inpatient and outpatient clinics, and psychiatric wards. Susan has enjoyed a successful private practice and has supported individuals, couples, and groups. She's helped a diverse clientele with their ages ranging from 3 to 83. In addition to her academic credentials and her experiences as a mental health care worker, Susan is a certified Hatha yoga teacher, has studied studied intensively with a shaman, and continued her spiritual studies of vendetta, an ancient Indian wisdom. Susan is a healed survivor who has taken a deep journey into early traumatic abuse and now acts as a compassionate guide for those struggling to free themselves from the lingering effects of traumatic stress. So Susan, I'm so honored you're here having this conversation with us here today on Empower Radio. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Such such an important subject. So I would like just to begin this conversation with your um, explanation or description of PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a very disruptive um, mental and physical state um, that happens after extreme stresses or traumas that people go through. Um, It's characterized by repeated intrusive phenomena such as flashbacks or numbing, being unable to feel things. Um, It's really, um, at bottom line, it's it's a regulation disorder. It's a dysfunction. Mm -hmm. 
when something overwhelms the body and mind, we have trouble digesting and integrating that experience. And that failure to integrate um, creates a lot of psychiatric symptoms and physical symptoms. That's fascinating to me. I love the way that you're describing this. So, Susan, I personally believe, I love your um, thoughts about this. I think a lot of people have post-traumatic stress disorder and may not necessarily even be aware of it. Would you say that's likely or accurate? I think that is likely and accurate. And I think that um, people tend to get hung up on diagnostic categories because there's a lot of people who may not meet the full criteria for PTSD who still may have acute stress and trauma that looks like PTSD or has maybe two of the three main symptoms of PTSD, but maybe not the full-blown thing that can be just as disruptive. And actually studies are showing that um, the physical effects are just as um, harmful, whether you have full-blown PTSD or just acute stress. That's interesting to me. And, And something else I believe is somebody is sensitive then things that may not look like they're stressful to people who aren't sensitive can really affect you deeply and yes. have long-term consequential effects. Yes. I know yes. that was true for me. Yes. So, and the, the, that sensitivity can be um, genetic and it can also be um, temperamental. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a very interesting field around epigenetics and looking at how the gene is actually changed through cultural traumas, which then predisposes people to PTSD and generations down the line. That's, that's so fascinating for me. And something else I've thought, you know, it's like, I think my mom was dealing with a lot of stress when she was pregnant with me. Is that yeah. something that you think could influence or affect me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you're, the, there's no barrier between the mother's chemicals and the baby's chemicals. Everything that... Right. It's going through her bloodstream, is going through the fetal bloodstream, and affects the developing person inside. Yeah, it, 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 that is something I've definitely thought. I mean, she was 17 years old. It was just not an easy time for her. And I just wondered if it was kind of woven into my foundation before I even really showed up. So yeah, absolutely. That's they, actually, that. they actually did a study looking at children after 9-11, who were born after 9-11, mm. and they found that they all... Um, had lower cortisol levels overall, the babies that were born after 9-11. And what would that mean? What does that mean when somebody has a lower cortisol level? It predisposes them to more intense stress reactions. Mm. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, You know, people who are more sensitive and and more prone to stress reactions also can be, have quicker reflexes and, um, more aware of their surroundings because of hypervigilance or tendency towards hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. So in no way do I want to say this is good or bad. This is part of human history. This is part of the human condition. And unfortunately, extreme stress has always been a part of the human condition. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was writing about it in my book. It's like fear is actually in our physiology because we, we used to be running from dragons and, or dinosaurs and, and you know, um, looking for food and starvation was, you know, uh, a very real possibility. And we've kind of, our brains haven't really changed that much since we were, you know, foraging for food and, and you know, really life and death uh, on a daily basis. So yes. brains haven't changed that much. So it, 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 I think it takes us really um, consciously choosing to ascend in our consciousness and, and take responsibility for 
for healing some of these issues to, to move to the next level in, in our, in our lives. Yes. And I think it's interesting. You said dragons and dinosaurs, because I think that kind of talks about what you're kind of saying metaphorically is the sort of internal and external dangers, Yes, you know, that people face, you know, our internal demons and our, and the external realities, um, that are part, like you said, you know, I talk about in my book, how, you know, if we walk into a field to gather berries and then a lion jumps out at us, you know, the next time we go into that field, we're not going to just be thinking about how beautiful the flowers are there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Your heart's, there's red, li- there's like a yellow light flashing, maybe a red yes, light flashing. Yeah, and, that's and, and, and it may not even necessarily be a conscious thing. Right. I know it's like, I would have panic attacks and I'm like, it, it would feel like, um, that I was going to die, but I, I knew consciously or logically that there was no actual threat to my life and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And right. it was doing the work that, you know, finding somebody like yourself to support me and going back and healing the, the trauma I'd experienced as a young girl and all these healing of memories that supported me and eventually being able to relax into my body. Exactly. And it's, it's amazing. So Susan, I'd like to hear from you. What are maybe some of the um, symptoms or red flags or indicators that somebody might have unprocessed trauma? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, thank you for asking that question. We don't talk about that enough. This is what's hard about trauma is that um, actually the more traumatized people um, look, they can go one of two directions. They can look really, um, I think, we might use the word drama queen, <laughs> you know, people who are sort of very intensely sensitive and reactive to stimuli in their environment and also to internal stimuli. That's one uh, population. Unfortunately, those people tend to be judged and marginalized. Um, but the other group of people who are very intensely traumatized actually kind of go the other direction. And they're very, very quiet. They're very numbed out and shut down. and um, we don't tend to notice those people at all. That can be true. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of like drama queens and, and kings, if you will. And it's like, really? But what I didn't understand was that they had a certain amount of trauma that they had within themselves that was um, motivating this behavior. It wasn't that they were just trying to get attention, although sometimes that could be the case, but that they um, were really hypervigilant on high alert. And it was almost like they they were stunted in some way. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I guess in shamanistic terms, like there was some, some, some sort of fracture or splintering in their personality and it was right. kind and, of distorting and coloring their lives. Yeah. And I think what we're going to find pretty quickly, cause there's a lot of research being done on this. I, I think we're going to find pretty quickly that um, trauma and PTSD uh, actually underlies a lot of what we consider to be mental disorders. And I'm thinking of something like ADHD, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, There seems to be evidence that when children are exposed to stressful and traumatic experiences, some of them, um, it tends to show up as ADHD. And um, there's a bipolar disorder. There's questions about that, the mood disorders, things that make it hard for people to concentrate and function in their lives. We talk about this... um, executive function is the name we give this sort of frontal lobe activity in the brain. And we know for sure, and I have some great slides about this when I present that I show how the amygdala, which is our emergency response center, if you will, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. has the ability to take over 
our executive function when we're in danger. And that's really necessary because, you know, when that lion jumps out of the bush, you don't want to stand there and deliberate and go, oh, should I run or should I climb a tree or should I, you know, <laughs> time you're dead, you know? So, um, <laughs> there's no thought involved. It's the lizard brain taking over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the amygdala, it's not even the lizard brain. I mean, it's partly the brainstem, but it's also the amygdala that, that sort of hijacks executive function and, and puts it on hold. And when people are in a chronic state of trauma, um, you know, especially if, if they're growing up, let's say in school as children, they can look like the really bad, act, badass acting out child, you know, um, but they are really kind of struggling with brain function is really what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have a long ways to go in integrating the information we've been discovering in recent research into public policy and really helping people out and even helping doctors understand. My husband and I, my husband's a cardiologist and um, he knows and I know, and it's coming out in the research um, regularly that people with PTSD often develop heart disease, but also people with heart disease can develop PTSD because as my husband says, nothing's more traumatic than dying and being brought back to life. (laughs) Brings up a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a wise uh, man. (laughs) Right. So we are um, actually presenting this to a group of doctors. This is a new talk that we, we've been giving um, to just because I think the medical community doesn't really yet think in these terms. And it's just a function of our own evolution of awareness as um, humanity goes along. Well, and something I really love about you, Susan, is that you are bridging the worlds between like psychiatry and the mental health field and and allopathic medicine and the world of um, spirituality and shamanism. And, and I think bridging those worlds is so vital. And it sounds like you really understand both sides of this and are bringing it together in a way that makes it um, comprehensive and accessible for a very wide variety of people. Well, I thank you. That's really lovely to hear you say that. Um, I, I, I consider it in some ways a function of my Irishness. Um, (laughs) the Irish people are, uh, they are kind of known for bridging worlds that's in their literature a lot. And it, um, it actually, I feel passionately about that. And that I think that, you know, the world's been in so much trouble lately. I think you'd have to have your head under a rock to not notice that we're in a lot of trouble as a planet. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I really feel like to bring back this indigenous wisdom, to link it to high spiritual tradition and incorporate the gifts of Western science, to me, is the answer to all of these things. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And I didn't know that about the Irish thing. I'm a quarter Irish, so I find it fascinating. Oh, that's where your sensitivity comes from. (laughs) Highly sensitive, and I want to bring heaven to earth and be a a bridge builder myself in whatever way I can. So that's why I love having these conversations with uh, experts as yourself. Uh, to really just give people the tools. So if Susan, if, if somebody's going, this is really resonating for me, how can they get a hold of you? How can they get a copy of your book? Um, my book is everywhere right now. It's in bookstores and it's um, uh, online, Amazon and Powell's and Barnes and Noble and all those places. It's also in electronic form on Kindle and Nook. And through my publisher's website, which is questbooks.net, um, it's um, also in libraries. And I, you know, I've had a lot of requests from people who can't afford to buy the book. And I'm, I'm really trying to get this book into libraries because that's where a lot of people are finding it who can't afford to buy it. So people, your listeners should know 
that if they can't afford it, they can go to their local library and request that the library obtain a copy of it. So then it's there permanently for everybody. That's fantastic. And I love the title, The Trauma Toolkit, Healing PTSD from the Inside Out. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Because that's, that's the only way true healing can occur is from the inside out. That's my subtitle in, in my books. <laughs> yeah, well, love from the inside out, prosperity from the inside out. Yeah. He- healing long- PTSD. Yes. Exactly. For too long, we've been trying to, you know, put some, sim- we call it putting band-aids on amputations. You know, we, we're trying to address symptoms from the outside in and that's yes. what allopathic psychiatry and medicine have done. And it definitely has its place. Like, you know, my husband does a pretty good job opening up people's hearts and, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> with his tools, but, um, but there's other there's other ways, and the the bottom line is nobody's really gonna get permanently better until they they find the keys to unlock what's inside of them and heal the roots, as as it sounds like you have and I have, because I'm also somebody who suffered from PTSD, and so many of us. Yeah, and I, I really believe if you're human, you've experienced some trauma. Yes. You know, this is not a cakewalk, this human journey. I mean, best case scenario, it's it's tough. Worst case scenario, it can feel like hell on earth. Yes, yes. It can so be hell on earth yes. or hell on earth. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that you, you're supporting people in understanding this and giving them the tools they need, I think is just um, so important, such important work, so powerful. Um, so, so Miss Susan, um, what are some things we can do besides pick up your book to start to <laughs> soothe ourselves? What, what are some things that we can do? I, I think there's a few things. I mean, the, you know, I talk a lot in the, in the first chapter and the, the introduction and also in the last chapter about how it's natural and in the human mind and condition to want to be in denial and avoid trauma. It's, it's actually not a conscious choice we make. I, I believe it has an evolutionary function that helps people get through unbelievably hard events. Um, but when denial persists past its sell by date, then we can, we can't heal. We, we kind of, I say, you know, it puts us in prison and tosses away the key. You know, we have to, collectively get over our own denial about how much we've all been through, which is something that, you know, you just addressed is that I would agree with that. I mean, people have trauma along a continuum, but I'd say by 40 or 50 years old, pretty much everybody's been through something very major. And we know that one out of three um, young women is sexually abused before the age of 18. We know that one out of six boys are, so we know that a lot of people are starting their lives as adults with a tremendous amount of trauma. And some of those people don't make it, you know, there's a high rate of suicide among young people. Um, so it's really collectively pulling our head out of the sand and looking around at our neighbors and our friends and ourselves and our families and being willing to hear people's stories, being willing to tell our own story um, in a way that hopefully is, is not too triggering to other people and say, yes, this happened to me, and there's a way to heal this. I think that's the first step. And the, the second step is really getting appropriate help. You know, I know that um, I know that even with my husband, a lot of people aren't going to see the cardiologist because they don't have health insurance, they can't afford to. They're having to make tough choices about, you know, paying rent or seeing a doctor, and much less seeing a therapist seems sort of out of the question. And yet, in every community, that in every big city at least, there are clinics 
that serve low-income people and that um, provide services free of charge or for very low price. I really encourage people to get over their um, resistance and their fear about talking to other people or being seen as weird and crazy because that um, was the single best investment I made in myself was getting into my own therapy. And of course, if I was going to become a therapist, I kind of had to do that to have integrity. Um, But I'd really encourage people to not be afraid to jump into that and then also pursue healing at the physical level. And if I were going to give one one single prescription, which is sort of impossible, but the, the thing I think that people find the most helpful is actually learning to meditate and quiet the mind. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge proponent of that. I think it saved my life. Yeah, I think it saved a lot of people's lives. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I would have anxiety. I would have panic attacks. And I found, I kept hearing about the um, advantages of meditation. So I was like, well, it's not expensive and it just takes a little bit of time. So I, I started doing it kind of as just an experiment. And I found that it it was so helpful as far as just having me calm down. And then I started taking my sense of peace for granted and I stopped meditating and lo and behold, the anxiety came back. So for mm-hmm. quite a while, it was sort of like it was um, my lifeline. It was how I created that that peace, that pocket of peace for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to carry that with me through my day. So I'm with you. I can't say enough about the healing properties of meditation. Yeah, I think one of my personal missions is to, um, I present a lot on this to clinicians at trauma conferences and local conferences. I really want every clinician in the country to know how to teach this and to, to practice it themselves and to know how to teach it. Because when people come to me um, and the flashbacks are really, really painful and out of control, it's partly because their minds are out of control and they don't know how to make their mind sit still as it were, you yes. know? And so I call it like a flabby mind muscle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I've, I've had that. <laughs> right. And, right. And so we're used to, you know, in a, we're very sort of materialistic focused in this country. So we're all about like go to the gym and work out and get big muscles and strong muscles. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if people put as much energy into their mind muscle as they did into their physical muscles, we would have a different society and we would have a lot less suffering and a lot less anxiety, quite honestly. Yeah. And again, what you're saying comes back to that principle of, you know, working from the outside in or the inside out. And I think especially in our culture, we are more of a doing um, nation than a being nation, which is kind of an out of balance and willing to go to the gym, but not willing to sit and be, you know, we're ambitious, we're ambitious. And and that doesn't always work for us. No. And my training as a therapist was that I used to have a supervisor that would say, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <Right. laughs> I say that to my clients, are you human doing or are you a human being? Right. And really, again, it's like, this is what I love about what you're, what you're doing is um, it's the balance between the masculine and feminine, the doing and the being and finding that particular balance, you know, that, that can help us live more happy, fulfilling, and empowered lives. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's a journey. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's just like, you know, think about somebody who's been a couch potato for 10, 20, 40 years, whatever it is. And then one day they decide that they want to develop muscles. It's the same thing with our mind. If we've never actually trained our mind, we can't expect the first time we meditate, 
for it to go particularly well. It's going to be it, kind of it's, a disaster. I've been, Susan, I've been doing this for 15 years and I still feel like a novice. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's a practice. That's why it's called a, a meditation practice. Right. And some Just days are you Right. Yes. Just like going to the gym. It is. It really is. And, and don't judge yourself. Just keep trying. Yeah. Just and, keep and trying. The other thing is that, um, and maybe we can get into this later, but um, the other thing is that when you do sit down and you start focusing on the mind, the mind um, responds to that, the unconscious, and starts showing you its contents, which can be very disturbing to say the least. Um, and so it's good to have guidance with that, like a preceptor, a teacher, or a therapist who can kind of help you deal with what comes up in the meditative process. And I think what you're saying is so valid. And yes, I do want to get into that in the second part of the show, but uh so many of us are running from ourselves because it's uncomfortable and scary to sit with ourselves. So I think we either run from ourselves or run to ourselves. And as long yeah. as we're running from ourselves, um, I don't think our lives are going to be that productive or fulfilling, you know? Right. right. Well, we are going to go to break and I'm so excited to be having this conversation with Susan P. Spanett. And I'm so excited that you, my lovely listeners, are hanging out with us today. Really honored. So hang on. We'll be right back with some more wisdom and some more tools with Susan Peace Bannett. Ranger Station, Ranger Speaker. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? Uh, in the woods, just outside of town. Oh, not surprising. You've got your home. Bears have theirs. Yeah, but see, this wasn't just any bear. This bear was wearing jeans and a hat, as in a smoky bear. Jeans and a hat. That's definitely smoky. What exactly did he have to say? Well, we were about to head home, you know, after having a bonfire. Oh, I can guess where this is going. Right, right. See, Smokey told me the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. That's true. Did you know that 9 out of 10 wild fires are caused by humans that means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented wow no kidding i'm a forest ranger we never kid sorry <laughs> that was a joke oh get your smoky on if you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire step in and make a difference because nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans brought to you by smoky bear the u.s forest service your state forester and the ad council learn more at smokybear.com only you can prevent wildfires Sassy! Sassy! This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg! Ha ha! I win! Whoa! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well! I'm wet! What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl! What? You'd rather use this time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold! People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. 
If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. <coughs> See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Belashevsky. Hello, my friends and beautiful listeners. So happy to be spending some time with you here today on Journey to Center. We're spending some quality time with Susan Peace Bannett. She wrote an amazing book called The Trauma Toolkit, Healing PTSD from the Inside Out. And you know I love that because we are on Journey to Center and everything should happen from the inside out. Right, Susan? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So excited to be having this conversation with you. So I know that um, you have done a lot of work, have great credentials from the academic side and the allopathic side and love that, but I really, really love this other stuff. You've studied with a shaman. You Mm -hmm. are certified as a Hatha yoga instructor, and you've also studied Vendata. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, Vedanta. Yeah. Vedanta. Yeah. Which is Hindu, ancient Hindu philosophy. But it's still very active in India, the way people think there. I love that. I'm a mandala teacher facilitator, and I, I do um, yantras and, and love the mandala. So I'm a big fan of that, the Eastern traditions. So yeah. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about um, your experience and you know, what's in your toolbox in regards to the Eastern philosophies. So, wow, let, let's really get into this fun stuff over here. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Um, so I practice in Portland, Oregon, which is kind of a mecca for holistic healing. Um, almost all of my patients um, wanted to be off of psychiatric medication. They wanted to use more Eastern methods. Some of them sought me out for that reason. A lot of them were in yoga classes. Um, and I am a trained um, yoga instructor through Kopalo. And, um, you know, I not only know postures, but I um, know the deeper practices, sort of the uh, breathing exercises called pranayam. And I like, uh, lately I've been playing with mudras, which are hand positions that also help with calmness. And, um, you know, in even in a traditional therapy office, which is what I have, you know, I have a practice where you know, I don't touch people and I don't um, do, you know, I don't even do postures, but I might prescribe a posture or I might, um, encourage people to get into certain breathing patterns that are going to help either open things up or calm things down, um, heat the body or cool it, as they would say in yoga. And the whole idea of yoga is awareness. You know, all the Eastern traditions, their bottom line is really about becoming more aware. And their idea is that when you become fully aware, then your ignorance, as they say, is dispelled and you become enlightened. Um, so it's a process of increasing awareness, which is not so dissimilar than the process of therapy. It's just that I think in therapy, people, people start in a much more disrupted place than they might start like traditionally in India with a guru. That's true. Sometimes it takes a, 
I say God throws pebble stones, bricks, and we get a brick wall. And often, many of us seem to need that brick wall before we open our minds to doing something uh, radically different. Yes. So, yeah, I know that was that was my story, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. No, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. The blessing mm-hmm. of suffering, as they say, you know. Blessing of suffering. You have some good, like, isms here. I like that quote. That's really good. <laughs> so um, I love on your website that you have um, a video or a, it's um, a short clip about um, the prescription for your trauma. And and the it was just so beautifully done with some of your suggestions about the breathing and some some. That, that sleep is the most revitalizing thing we can do for ourselves. And it was just, if, if people go to your website and look at that, I think immediately they'll take a deep breath and can start <laughs> healing some of their locked up trauma, even if they don't know what that trauma is. Well, I, you know, you, you mentioned the shaman. I, um, you know, I, I have this yoga background, but at the same time I started studying Vedanta. I also started working with a shaman because I was having a lot of, um, sort of phenomena, shall we say, happening with me with my clients that I couldn't go to a regular supervisor with. I I started feeling unusual things, I started seeing lights coming out of people. And um, I finally found a, a teacher who could help me with a lot of that. And he was Irish and Russian, which was really helpful. And he had been recognized by local Native American tribes as being a shaman, but he was in a different li- um, blood lineage. And um, he gave me some tools which really was the seed for this book um, because when I was working through my own traumatic states with him or working with him around moving my clients out of extreme traumatic states, he had some very simple ideas about ways to calm people down quickly and things like having a smoky quartz crystal in my office that people could hold when they were really going through a powerful flashback or um, having people take uh, dead sea salt baths. Mm-hmm. Or Epsom salt baths if they couldn't afford the dead sea salts. Um, or smudging, making sure that the toxic energies in and around my office were um, taken care of and dispelled. You know, Native Americans um, in the Northwest often practice smudging. And so a lot of the co- my colleagues in Portland, of all kinds of practitioners, many people here practice smudging. Now, are you um, talking about smudging with sage? I am talking about smudging with sage, but it could also be cedar or sweet grass. Most of us like here, we we use white sage from California. Um, I'm very sensitive to energies. And so I can feel traumatic energy very acutely in my body, just like a smell or a sound. Um, And so I, I really need to keep that clear in order to be feeling healthy. And the Native Americans used to say that if you didn't clear that energy, you could develop actually physical illness in the body. Um, because this energy, this traumatic energy that comes out of us, comes out of our body, it's electromagnetic. It does have an effect. And I believe soon we will be able to actually measure that. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think disease is dis-ease. It's unease in our bodies. And if we've experienced yes. trauma that we haven't acknowledged, validated, processed, it's gonna, it, it does affect us. It locks up in our bodies. And, and I think, again, it just discolors our lives. It's sort of like this prescription lens that's not really uh, um, the right prescription lens for yes. you you're looking at your life through. Yes, it's a filter. And um, yes. you know, when you asked about Eastern traditions, what the Eastern traditions and the indigenous traditions all share in common um, is that they assume that we not only have a body and a mind, which is what the West is talking about now, but they assume this third entity, which is a, an energy body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, the yogis call it prana and the Chinese call it chi. 
Um, and the indigenous people have lots of different ways of talking about that, um, depending on what culture you're talking about. But that is something that we have not really come to yet in the West. And it's really important in healing trauma to understand what disrupted prana, I'll call it prana because that's my yogic training, but the trauma actually disrupts the flow of prana in the body. And interestingly, Freud was the first one that was onto this in the West, <laughs> which might surprise a lot of your listeners. It might surprise you, but he, his first clients were these people with these hysterical paralysis in their bodies. So they stopped being able to see or hear or move an arm or a leg, not because they couldn't, but because they had withdrawn the prana from that area of their body. And when they were able to talk about their traumas, those symptoms sort of, quote, unquote, miraculously cured up. Ah, like uh, coming back to life. That's very interesting. Yes. And he talked about pools of energy in the body, which he called erogenous zones. And they were, for him, sexualized. But just the idea that there were pools of energy in the body spoke to his awareness that there was an energy entity in the body, if you want to call it that, or an energy flow that um, he he acknowledged a long time ago. And we are only now just coming to this um, in my profession in psychotherapy. I feel, I feel like we are standing at the threshold of this. And how I know that is that um, my graduate school, actually, Simmons, is giving this book an award, <laughs> which surprised Fantastic. Me. Oh my gosh, I got goosebumps on your behalf. Yeah, it surprised me a lot. But what that says to me is that, and they are very kind of mainstream. They all, a lot of their placements are in the Harvard Medical System. You know, they, um, my professor was a professor in the Harvard Medical School. I mean, my supervisor that says to me is that this profession is really ready to embrace this. And so, you know, for your listeners to think about not only their mind and body, but their energy flow mm -hmm. and how can they increase the energy flow through their body um, that's going to help heal them. Yes. You bring it up a really great point. And I have worked with um, shamans myself and I do feel like um, experiencing trauma, it's almost like um, part of your soul, I guess one way of putting it, it kind of splinters off. And shamans, yeah, are, are, are those guides that help us with soul retrieval, yes. bring those pieces of ourselves home. And as I've done this work, I know I have felt like I have come back to life. And mm. it is a process. Something you'd mentioned before we went to break is you know, the content in the subconscious mind, and it can be um, scary or overwhelming, and it can be so helpful, maybe really important or even vital that we have somebody support us in walking through this terrain. Yes, absolutely. Because it's like um, people a lot of times want to do it themselves or they feel like they can, but, you know, that's where I, I need to emphasize how arduous this is. You know, it's like it's like saying I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And so I'll take a few hikes on the weekend and then I'll be ready to go. You know, or like, maybe I'll do my own heart surgery. Let me open up my chest and, you know, do, yeah, do a little I mean, heart surgery on myself. We don't even, yeah, we even have a mirror for shaving. I mean, try shaving without a mirror. You know, you need a mirror. You need somebody who can kind of uh, help look at yeah. things with you and show you where things are because the whole nature of PTSD is to be blind to some things because that's what the brain does to protect itself is it ignores very big key pieces of information. It shuts it down. It throws the switch and we need somebody to help us throw that switch back on and to even find the switch to throw it back on. Yes. And, and that's something I feel like I do. And I know you do is really just hold space 
for people, a safe space, and then provide that mirror, provide that feedback and that support and kind of ground them, hold space and ground them as we um, call all pieces home. Yeah. And the thing I really loved about working with my Irish Russian shaman was that, you know, he said, you know, he was trained. He said, I, you know, I could do rattles and all that stuff. He's like, but that's not my tradition. That's not my bloodline. But you know, what is very Irish um, and Northern European is, is storytelling. And so there's something that's very powerful about telling our story and telling our story in a field of very um, intense and powerful listening with people that I've had soul retrievals happen spontaneously with people who are just um, telling their story with me and being deeply listened to. Oh my gosh, you just gave me goosebumps again. Truth bumps. (laughs) These are truth bumps. (laughs) I think it's so true, Susan, what you're saying is like, if we, if somebody can listen to our story and uh, witness um, our story and have compassion for our challenges and our pain, just that being deeply heard. Mm-hmm. and held energetically can create such profound healing in an instant. Yeah. And it becomes magical. Magical. It yeah. really does. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've been heard. I've been listened to. I can now relax, release this and move forward. Yeah. And physical symptoms can clear up. I've, I've sat yes. with people as a psychotherapist and I've seen like sore throats go away. I've seen like ears clear up and allergies go away and, you know, migraine headaches disappear. Like it's very powerful when we start speaking our truth in a safe environment. And this is, I, you know, I want to stress that it's not as easy as walking to a therapist office and like, I'm telling you what happened to me. That's not really what I mean when I talk about telling your story. Um, the, the narrative, the narrative, the what happened when part is a t- tiny, tiny sliver fraction of what the actual story is. Mm-hmm. Because we have the, the sort of what, when, who, how, what, you know, the details. But then we have what, what is the meaning we assign to it? What is the meaning we made of it? What happened in our body when that happened? What happened in our mind when that happened? Um, how did it color our perception of other people? Yeah, how did it, what beliefs did it end up? creating that you're creating. carrying forward and, and then affecting again, your whole life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And how did it affect our ability to trust? And so a lot of the initial therapeutic process with any practitioner, whether it's your acupuncturist or your physician or your counselor is about um, developing a trustful relationship with them because trust is always shattered in trauma always. And a rebuilding of the trust is a really key element to healing from trauma. That's profound. You know, and, and, and again, and so much of what you're saying is just resonating so deeply for me. I know when somebody first asked me, uh, I think it was Einstein that asked, the most important question we can ever answer for ourselves, is the universe a safe and loving place or not? And when that was kind of brought up to me in a conscious way, I was like, absolutely not. I mean, look at all these things that have happened to me. My trust had been shattered. I had experienced a lot of trauma and I didn't know it. I mean, I really didn't know it. I just knew my life wasn't working. But I mean, from an early age, many, 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 many things happened where I was heartbroken or disillusioned or the rug was constantly being pulled out from under me. My dad was in the military or moving, moving, moving. And then my Mm -hmm. mom left my dad and never told me what was going on. And I didn't realize that any of this was traumatic. I mean, I was just living my life. Right. But uh, as I told my story and was listened to, I was like, well, maybe that was traumatic and maybe compassion would be an appropriate energy to have for myself and yes. 
that is what healed me of my chronic fatigue, of issues with my immune system, of so many like um, lung stuff, you know, which I understand to be um, grief, you know, a lot of bronchitis and such. So I'm healthier now than I've ever been because I said yes to doing this deep work that, that you do with people. Yes. And I, yeah, I have a, I have a brother who, um, has a lot of those kinds of complaints and, uh, but as far as I know, he's never done any therapy and I can't help but wonder if he had a good therapist, if that wouldn't free up the energy for healing in his body. You know, I think there's a lot of people we're taught to keep our pain to ourselves. We're taught to um, not disturb other people with our, as they say, sad sack stories. And we have a lot of really mean words to describe people who are suffering in our culture, which is unfortunate um, because what people need more than anything is they do need to be able to talk and tell their story to themselves. I sometimes tell new patients or clients that, um, you know, that we, we can't tell ourselves our story in our own head. It has to come out the kind of the door of our mouth and come in the we, uh, the window of our ear, <laughs> you know, like that's we, great. I we, think that's you know, true. It is true. You, there's something very powerful about actually speaking it and then hearing it and that feeling in your body. That's like, yes, I'm telling the truth. Yes. That's what happened. You know, yes, that's my reality. And there's something also very grounding about that um, and helping people just settle into acceptance of what actually happened to them. And I think I, I love your, um, perspective of this, Susan, as well, is to shed any unshed tears, to allow those tears from our past hurts to come up and out. Yes. Yeah, there's there's some interesting studies going on about tears and crying, too. It seems that tears literally do release some toxins from our body Mm -hmm. um, and that the mechanism of crying is it's evolutionary. Nobody's completely figured out what what it is. But, you know, what we do know is that people who don't cry at all tend to have a lot of problems physically and mentally. Yeah, uh, it's so true. I know Gary Zukov says tears are the healing balm to the soul. And I've also heard, you might know more about this than myself, but that there've been studies done and there's very different chemical component to tears that are cried from grieving and tears that are maybe produced by virtue of an onion. Yeah. They're different oh, yeah. chemical makeups. There's a really powerful episode on uh, Dr. Ju's rehab where one of the clients there finally shares her true story with the people in her group. And it's a very powerful story of she has several miscarriages and she's been very tight and controlled and not crying and very angry the whole time. And you see after she cries and lets the secret out, you see her whole face soften. It's like she loses 20 years off her face, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and her whole body, you can see her whole physiology softens and relaxes. And there is nothing more relaxing than a good cry. I think people get scared sometimes of going into a cry because they're, they, they tend to feel if I go in there, I might never come out. Never or come out, but you always do. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> sometimes do. I think sometimes people actually have flashbacks of not being comforted when they were crying when they were little. It's like a body flashback and it's a very painful condition to feel that sense of abandonment. So sometimes what comes up for people when they want to cry is they, they're terrified. I think of that abandonment feeling and they, and they don't want to go in there. So again, that's where having a good friend or a good therapist or a good healing practitioner who can sort of guide you in and out of those spaces, at least in the beginning, when you're first getting used to it, it can be really helpful. 
Absolutely. And I know something that, that you are is the wounded healer and you can hold space for people that are going that deep into their grief because you have done the work yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've gone to, um, I went to a therapist who hadn't done the work herself and it wasn't highly effective. Sometimes we need to really, uh, be discerning in regards to who we do this work with because it is such precious and, and tender and important work. So I, I believe when the student's ready, the teacher can appear, but, you know, create those strong intentions and really, um, trust your intuition about who you do this work with. Well, and it's okay to ask. It really, trauma work is really a specialty area of psychology. It's not something that everybody's trained in and, um, or in acupuncture or any other. I, I work closely with an acupuncturist I have for years. His name's Michael, but Michael, um, he has a specialty practice and training around trauma. He's been to China. He's done special trainings to be able to sit with what people have to tell him and to be able to have deep esoteric knowledge of how to work with that. So when you go to a practitioner, it's okay to just ask and say, you know, how many people with a lot of trauma have you really treated? Do you have special training in it? Have you been to special workshops or do you have a special certification for it? Um, And then you'll save yourself a lot of trouble (laughs) of thinking you can, because not every therapist can do this. They're just not capable of doing it. It's advanced practice. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it really is to, to find somebody that can really hold space for us as we go into these kind of dark corners, you know, in our psyches and in our minds and lives, I think is, uh, it's, 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 it's important and intense work for sure. And, the, but there's so much you can do on your own, which is why I wrote this book is to, is so that if people aren't in a space or a position, they can do that. They can at least help take the edges off and find mm. some ways to cope on their own, which is hugely important. Yes, it, it really is. So there are action steps that we can take on our behalf to start clearing the trauma is what you're saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know some of that is the breathing and the smudging. Do you have some other suggestions? If somebody's listening going, maybe I have some trauma and, and um, I don't know what that is. What, what are some things that they can do to support themselves? Um, you know, regularly having grounding practices is really important so that you know that you're in the body feeling the earth. Um, I've written about many of those in the book. Um, having some sort of regular practice like Tai Chi or yoga or something that involves mindfulness, going to a meditation class, all those things are really helpful. And you can either do them again alone with a, with a DVD or in a classroom setting um, for fairly inexpensive. Really good stuff. So Susan, what are some of the reasons that you think um, people should take action now? Um, <laughs> there's no time to lose, really. You know, every every minute that you leave that energy in your body, it's working against you. It's causing inflammation. It can cause heart disease. It can cause um, mood disorders. Um, it can cause lots of problems. And um, as we age, those things tend to get worse. You know, and I've seen that. I've seen that in my practice. You know, I have an elderly woman who just contacted me and her anxiety is getting worse. So we're talking about, you know, how she can work that out in both her body and her mind at the same time. Um, the good news is that you can heal fully from trauma. I know a lot of people don't really believe that, um, but I'm here to tell about it. I have a lot of friends who are here to tell about it, um, but you have to address all the layers of the being to do that. So the mental and the emotional and the mind and the 
energy body. And once you address all those layers, which I talk about, go through in the book, um, you should be able to work it completely out. And that's an amazing blessing that you can live your life free of trauma. Even if it takes you 20 years, that still leaves the rest of your life, which for most of us is a fairly long period of time. And I personally believe, I don't know what your thoughts are about this, Susan, but I personally believe in past lives and future lives. So when we, we clear our karmic plate, when we do this work, it's only going to bode well for us, for our family, for our lineage, for our soul, for the world. Oh, absolutely. Actually, I think it's what we're here to do. Personally, this is what I've come to believe. I think that this is what we're here to do is to clear all this trauma Mm -hmm. and heal ourselves and the planet and then graduate. And what more joy could there be than that? You know, I'm with you. And and I think I've done enough of this work that I'm really starting to enjoy the journey. I remember years ago, one of my teachers said to me, if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. And I thought to myself, who has time for fun? I was so <laughs> tortured and I thought this is hard work and, and you know what it was, but mm-hmm. I'm glad I kept saying yes to it and, and doing the work because now it is fun and I can really relate to that, that statement. Yeah. Um, it's really hard in the beginning, um, but the payoff comes in the end and yes. the amount of joy and freedom from suffering that people can experience. I wish I could, you know, share what's inside of me with them about that because it's like joy and bliss beyond your wildest imagining. It is. It is heaven on earth, but it takes mm-hmm. work to get to this altitude. It's like what you were talking about climbing Mount Everest. You know, yeah. uh, you can't do it in one day and it wouldn't be safe. It, it comes in steps. It's eating an elephant. It's one bite at a time, one step at a time. But I think when we say yes to this work, we can be met with grace and miracles. Oh. And there is so much support for us. Angels seen and unseen. Oh, yes. So many stories about we could do a whole show just about the miracles of healing, right? (laughs) I love that. That sounds like a book. (laughs) Miracles (laughs) of healing. Yeah. And I I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm one of the miracles of healing because, you know, it was it was a big old arduous climb. But if I can do it, I feel like anybody can. And I feel like as we do this work, we ascend vibrationally in our consciousness, we get above the cloud line. And, you know, a lot of people are the Eeyores walking around in the doom and the gloom. And I have great compassion because I I was there for a very long time. But now that I've gotten above the cloud line, um, there's miracles every day. There's rainbows and unicorns and magic. And it's great up here. And some people will say, Tammy, you're Pollyanna. You're not realistic. And I'm like, oh, no. I no, believe you I work am. For it. <laughs> they say you're so lucky, you're so blessed, and I'm like, I am. But it it also took taking great responsibility, and it took a lot of work. Well, and right, I, I, you can do it too. Well, there's a there's a great saying by Sri Ramakrishna, this wonderful saint who lived in India last century, a couple centuries ago, and he said, "The winds of grace are always blowing." That's true, but you need to raise your sails to catch them. <laughs> mm, I love that visual. I love yeah. that visual. You know, I say, you know, I am standing out in the sunshine. A lot of people are standing in the shade under the tree. Well, it's not fair. You get sunshine. Well, it's here for you, too. Yeah, it's just walk right, walk right over here. <laughs> walk right over here. I'll hold your hand if you like. Or Susan will. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of teachers and healers and angels, again, seen and unseen. There's a whole army of us, us out here. There's I have an such I'm so blessed with such amazing colleagues, amazing people out there. Yeah. And, yeah, you're not alone. None of us are alone. We're in this together. We're all one. Yes. So, and again, yeah, I think it's just, this is the most important 
thing we can do in our lives. I used to think it was indulgent and I didn't have time for it, but I think the most important thing we can do is to take responsibility for our own healing. And when we do that, we the ripple effects are sort of incalculable. You know, there was a study that came out a couple of years ago that said, if your neighbors are happy, you'll be happier. Like, if you're a happy neighbor, you're waiting that happiness out to your neighborhood and people, your friends feel it, your family feels it, your neighbors feel it, your interactions with everybody else is different, and the ripples go on and on. The and make pebble it in the pond. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing, the ripple effects. And, you know, we have to trust that. We have to, like, think really big to kind of wrap our minds around that idea. But no one of us, we, no man really is an island or woman, and we really do deeply affect the people we interact with. And if we're interacting from a place of trauma and suspicion and lack of trust and fear, that's really different than interacting from a place of joyfulness and steadiness and being healed and being patient with people. Yeah. What are you rippling out to the world right now? For me, it's sparkly and it's fun. I don't think my ripple was always this, but um, (laughs) it's an interesting thing to consider when somebody you know, brought this notion up to me. I'm like, I don't think my ripple is really very pretty. <laughs> I don't feel very good. <laughs> so I've taken responsibility for my ripple, as I know you have, and yeah. that we all can. And something I heard one of my teachers say, when we take responsibility for doing this healing work, all of humanity takes a step forward. Oh, the most absolutely. important thing we can do for the world is well, take care of Wayne, ourselves. Wayne Dyer has written about this, about the, the a sort of magnification of the psyche that happens and that when you are in a divine place you can affect the the really highest divine people affect the entire planet Mm. you know magnify that effect times thousands as you progress in your own evolution i loved that notion you know they would say that uh if the dalai lama walked into a room just quietly and didn't say anything or mother Teresa, the entire room would change and i thought that's what i want to do someday i just want to bring um positive energy and by by my existence, not by what I'm doing, but just who I am on the deepest level, my beingness. Oh, I think you're already doing, Tammy. (laughs) Aw, you're nice. I really like you, Susan. I'm (laughs) so glad you said yes to this interview. This is fantastic. Yeah. So to my listeners, I would love to hear from you. Find me on Facebook. Uh, Write to me, TammyBPhD at gmail.com. Come to my website, TammyBPhD.com. Get your free guided meditation to kind of relax into your center. And just, you know, just take really good care of yourselves. You deserve it. Get some good rest. Eat good food. Take some time to just be kind to yourself. That is what's going to heal the world. So God bless you. Love from our hearts to yours. Onward and upward. Bye for now.